Good evening, everyone. It's good to, good to see you all. Um, anyone here for the first time tonight? Any newcomers? Gentlemen, welcome, welcome. Um, I know one of them, I'm not sure the other one. Okay. Um, so, sorry, I'm going to do my normal wrestling with this thing. I'm going to speak to the elders about buying a new one. Um, <laughs> it's on my ear. Um, so guys, we, we're carrying on in our Act series, and you know, it's, it's not uncommon if you've been at Kingdom Life for a while for me to say that I'm going to preach on something, and then I prepare a sermon, and God does something slightly different. Okay, so um, if you were here last week, I said I was going to do a sort of second round about the church being disruptive, and that is going to be a part of what I'm going to say tonight. Um, but I kind of think we got the point last week, um, and also when I was reading the scripture, the Holy Spirit told me what to focus on. So, you know, I, I'm always going to try and be obedient to that. Um, and tonight, you know, as always, we want, we want scripture to speak to us. Like, I'm, I'm not going to say anything that's like profound. I'm just going to say what I think is obvious in scripture, but maybe we haven't always seen. Um, and then, and then at, the, at the end, I'm going to try and make this fairly quick. I know promises, promises, but I'm going to try. And, um, and then we just want to give the Holy Spirit a little bit of space to move. Okay. Um, and just see, see if, he will, if he'll meet with us. And uh, the words that, uh, that Dawn and Amanda have, have said already during worship, um, hold on to those. Because I think those were really accurate. And uh, if, if, that, if, if those words stirred something in you, wait for the end. And just let's uh, take them back to the Lord. So um, last week we, did, we looked at this series um, of, uh, of uh, stories of Paul preaching. And we saw this pattern of the gospel preached, the Holy Spirit moving in power, uh, the Jews or Greeks getting upset, them getting chased out of town, the people following them to the next town, um, and this like, coordinated opposition to these men of God, to the gospel. Um, and that's what I was planning on, just kind of carrying on with the stories. But like I say, I, th- I think we kind of got the point. Um, and I'm, I'm actually going to jump through a whole lot of chapters. I'm going to come back to some of them. And you'll forgive me, uh, my printer is obviously running out of ink because it's printed all the verse numbers in yellow that I cannot read. So uh, do your best to follow me as we go, okay. Um, But um, go to um, Acts 16, and we're going to start at verse 6. That one I do remember at least. Um, So what what I want us to see tonight as I kind of skip over these stories, and and forgive me, that I'm I'm not going to go into them in a lot of detail because he really wants us to focus, I believe, on Ephesus, um, but I, I want us to see again the way that Paul is modeling what it means to be walking with the Spirit. All right, it's something that Paul calls us to in the New Testament, isn't it? You know, walk by the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, and it's one of these phrases we might repeat, but we might not actually be able to describe really well what that looks like. It might seem like a nice idea, or I'm saved, so I'm walking by the Spirit. You know, but there might be more than that. Um, and so I, I'm just going to highlight a few times where we, we, we see the way that the Lord engages with Paul. All right, and remember these stories are for us today. Okay, these accounts, maybe we should say, not stories, because they are for us today. 
Although when we get to the one in prison, I hope that doesn't happen to any of us, but hey. All right, Acts 16, 6. Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mercia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mercia, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Um, note here, just briefly, that Luke is now talking in the personal. So he's with them. So this account, what he writes from this point on, he's, he's there. He's not just being told stories. He's recounting what he's experiencing. Um, you know, and, and it, this is one of those scriptures, like a lot of scripture, we wish Luke would kind of fill in some of the detail. Like, what does it mean when the Holy Spirit didn't let them? I would love to know what that looks like. You know, maybe it was just a gentle voice. I'd, I've been in a situation where I was going one place and I felt the Lord saying, you know, go pray for this friend. And I was like, I'm tired. And I didn't want to do it. And I literally felt like I walked into a wall. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to pray for my friend. You know, and the Lord made it really clear. And, you know, and maybe, maybe it was something like that. Um, maybe it was just the Lord speaking. We don't know. But what we see is the Holy Spirit engaged in direction. The most practical thing. Where to go next? Where to preach next? It's so simple, but I want us, <clears throat> I want us to see this as simple and not as the thing for the superhuman Christian. Right? There's no way in Scripture that Paul says that everything that, I, that happened to me is for me and not for you, lower Christians. Okay, it's just not there in Scripture. And so I, I want us to think about being naturally Supernatural. Being expectant that he's going to speak to us. Being obedient when he does. I believe the Lord is always wanting to speak. I think there are times where he might send us in a desert season, but I think for the most part he likes to speak. I think it's more often the problem is that we're not expectant. We don't believe we're good enough for something like that. So let's be expectant. All right, and then things get interesting with Paul. I think this is verse uh, 10 or 14. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And she did this for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And then we get them uh, beaten and thrown into prison. But again, do we, <laughs> do we see the simplicity of this? this? And this is quite a weird story because this woman is basically speaking truth. Maybe she's speaking that truth in, you know, with a sarcastic voice. Maybe. We just don't know. From what we can tell, she's actually speaking truth. 
We don't know why Paul tolerates this for a few days. Some scholars think, well, maybe he knew it would lead to opposition. I just think he was waiting for the Holy Spirit to tell him to act, personally. Because when he does, it's instant. Okay, this is a, a power encounter, and Jesus is clearly going to win. And the Spirit comes out. Naturally supernatural. Remember Paul in 1 Corinthians 4, he says that the kingdom of God is not one of words, but of power. Okay, for Paul, that's not a theory. Okay, it's not a nice theological idea. It's his lived experience, which is a word, phrase we like to use nowadays. Maybe that should be more Christians' lived experience, you know. <laughs> Though, are we a kingdom of words or are we a kingdom of power? So Paul and his friends, they're imprisoned. They pray, they worship, despite the fact that they've been beaten with rods, which for most of us would be fairly depressing. And we see again this promise of Jesus, this joy of the Holy Spirit amidst trial. You know, a few chapters ago we saw Peter freed from prison, and this time God does something slightly differently. So let's pick it up when the earthquake happens. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. I do have a curious uh, desire to know what happened once all the doors opened, whether Silas said, good time to leave, you know? Or, you know, how is it that none of the prisoners leave? That to me is really weird. Did Paul tell them to stop? Was there a presence of God there that just made them, hey, this is actually nicer to be here than anywhere else? You know, it's, again, we, like, we don't know, but isn't that curious? Like, why would the other guy still be there? Like, I'm out of there. Um, <laughs> we don't know. Maybe it's one of the videos we can watch when we get to heaven and see what happened. You know, and there's times that we're going we're gonna to see later in, in two weeks when Paul is in jail and he's not freed. We know that he's a man who eventually is killed. And we know that there are many Christians who suffer in, in prison. You know, it's the reality of this, this world we live in. But God shows that nothing is beyond him. Nothing's beyond his will. Nothing is beyond his power. And then Paul and Silas, they were released. And again, they go and teach, and we see this same pattern. They go and preach, they discuss the scriptures, many are saved, um, and, and what scripture says is that the Jews were envious, the Jewish leaders were envious, and, they, and they, they raise up against them in opposition. And we're not gonna read a lot there, but I want, I want us to just capture 17, 6b, okay, these words. 
Acts 17, 6, the second half of verse 6. The Jews cry out, those who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Those who have turned the world upside down have come here too. You know, and I, I think, you know, sometimes we might still like to think we live in a Christian nation. Uh, maybe, maybe we're not that naive anymore. There's lots of Christians around us. But these, these men, they turn society upside down. They turn the world upside down because they are preaching against gods. They're preaching against intellectual systems. They're preaching against political power. They're preaching against religious systems. Those things are all catastrophic for the world. But they're also preaching about a God who is alive and a God who loves them. A God who loves them and forgives them regardless of their actions. This is revolutionary. And it's turning the world upside down. And the world around us still needs this. It needs this message. We're drifting in the wrong direction in so many places. And there are so many people being brought into bondage. The world needs a kingdom of power again. In Acts 18.5, we get this other hint of the Spirit when it says that Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. And he faces opposition again, and this is what it says. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak. And do not keep silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in the city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. We see the Lord answer into Paul's life, into his ministry. It's the same God we worship. It's the same God whose spirit is in us. It's the same God who still talks to his children. Paul is this amazing model of what it, of what it is to walk with the spirit. But there's another model, and that's where I want us to sit tonight. Hopefully for 15 minutes or so. So let's read 18.24 onwards, a few verses. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. So we learn a few things about Apollos. All right? He's eloquent and he's passionate. He's passionate in his spirit. We're told that he knows the scriptures, he knows the Torah, and he's speaking to men and women about the baptism of John, about repentance of sin. And there's this little note in verse 26. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, two people that we encountered earlier in Acts, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now again, Luke doesn't give us details. Okay, the details are going to follow when Paul arrives. We have a man who's passionate, who knows the scriptures, who's eloquent, and a man lets realize who is leading people to Jesus. And that's good. But what scripture indicates to us is that he was fervent in spirit, but he was not fervent by the spirit. He was fervent in his own strength, and he was clearly a man who was eloquent, and clearly a man who could be persuasive. But he's a man, 
that preaches only the baptism of John. And we can be tempted if we read this scripture to think that he was not teaching about Jesus. Okay, because we, we talk about the baptism of John and we think about the baptism of Jesus. But he was preaching about Jesus because we are told he was leading people to Christ. He spoke of Jesus as the Christ. So he was doing this amazing job of drawing people to repentance. This thing that is absolutely essential. But he was not preaching the full gospel of Jesus. And I, as, we, as we go through some more scriptures and, I, and, as, I, and as I talk about this, I want, you to, I want you to think about the churches that you've been in, the churches you've grown up in, the theologians you've spoken to, the conversations you've had. And I, and I want you to ask whether most of your church experience reflects Apollos or Paul. And I also want to say this really clearly, that Apollos is a man who represents the love of the scriptures, love of truth. Paul is a man who represents the power of God as well as a man of truth, a man who knew the scriptures better than Apollos, no doubt. And there's no hierarchy in this, in what I'm going to say. Okay, there's no better Christian or worse Christian. There's just a full gospel, or not full gospel. And we preach according to what the gospel says to us. Remember John himself, John the Baptist says in Matthew 3, 11, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Okay, it's a different baptism. It's a different baptism. Okay, so we see that Apollos brings people to God. This is good. We see he preaches repentance and salvation. This is good. But I've said a few times, we have to be willing to have our theology challenged. This is something Apollos has. He has to have his theology challenged, his mission challenged. So Paul's walking around with his companions and he comes to Ephesus after Apollos. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. So we see this second baptism, the baptism of the Spirit. And I've mentioned this again a few times in this series already. But we are often tempted in the church. And again, this is not a judgment, it's not a criticism, but we are tempted in the church to believe that when we are saved, that we are baptized with the Spirit. And Scripture just doesn't indicate that. Okay? Now, the Holy Spirit can do whatever He pleases. And there are times when people will believe on Jesus and they will be filled with the Spirit. Okay? 
but it's not an automatic. If it wasn't automatic, then the disciples, when they believed in the risen Jesus, the risen Christ, and Jesus himself is standing before them and breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit, then that would have been sufficient. There would have been no need for Pentecost. But even the baptism of his own disciples that Jesus walked them through was insufficient. And if Jesus can baptize someone, then they need something else. And so do we. And it's, um, it's clear in the scripture that Paul is not coming with a theological idea. No, he's not coming saying, well, the scripture said, you know, baptized with water, now baptized, yeah. He, he comes with an expectation of experience. Something actually tangible. Something tangible. Why? Because in the stories that we've seen, when he's prayed for people and they're being baptized, the Holy Spirit has fallen. Even onto the Gentiles. Even onto the likes of us. Which is incredible. If the baptism of Jesus was enough, Paul would not have asked them if they'd received the Holy Spirit. Can we see that? Now, I might be talking to the choir here. Every single one of you might be filled with the Spirit. And that's awesome. So this might only apply to people that you meet during the week. Okay. But I just suspect that it may, it may apply to some of us. Because the next logical question to ask is, if we have been baptized with water and we are saved, that's incredible. So you ask me how I know I'm saved? Well, I believe in Jesus Christ and I was baptized. Done. If you ask me, how do I know that I'm, I've been baptized in the Spirit? Well, then there's a few things I can point to. Now, when I was prayed to be filled with the Spirit for the first time, and I've shared this in my series on tongues, so you can look it up online if you want the whole story, but it was incredibly unspectacular. And I got the gift of tongues, which was one click. In other words, I thought it was completely my imagination. For months. The only thing that happened to me that I knew was something different was I woke up the next day and I had a curious smile on my face, which didn't go away. And I got bullied by some seniors at high school and I strangely smiled through the whole thing. <laughs> I was like, there's something different. And subsequent to that, I've had other experiences where I got a you know, second gift of tongues. So I've got two gifts of tongues. So I can point to two things. Like, okay, that's a sign of the Spirit. It's a sign, not the sign. It's a sign. And then I've heard his voice and I've, I've spoken, I've felt him. I've done all these, you know, I've seen him do all sorts of things over whatever, how many, 40 years. Daniel could probably point to 50 things that, you know, that would tell him that he's filled with the Spirit. But the thing is, there's a how. There's a way that I can explain it. And I often ask students, have you been baptized with the Spirit? And they say, yeah. You know. And it's so unconvincing. And I don't even get to ask that, how do you know? Because they kind of <laughs> scurried out the door already. Because I'm strangely charismatic, you know. And a little freaky or something. But um, 
Let me just tell you a story. Um, I don't want to freak you out too much, but it's sometimes good. It's good to hear stories. So, and some of you, some of you have heard the story before, but we, a few new faces here. So, um, my the, the best example I can think of this dynamic. My my favorite Apollos, and I hope he doesn't listen to this podcast. I think he'll actually enjoy this. My favorite Apollos is a guy called Mike Richards, incredible Baptist pastor in Tacoma. A man who adored scripture. One of the best Bible teachers I've ever heard. One of those guys who when he needs a scripture, it's there. When you say, Jesus said this on me, or one of the prophets said this, he knows it because he knows literally the Bible off by heart. Literally off by heart. He was passionate. And he was so good, like Apollos, that he had two and a half thousand people in his church. By all standards. Okay, I know big church is not always a sign of good theology, okay, but in his case it was. He was a good leader and he was a good man and he loved God. And then God did this really curious thing. Whereas over, over, over a space of months, every single week, a demonized person would walk into his church. And this is not Africa, okay, this is Tacoma, Washington. I won't say anything else about Washington State, okay? But this is Tacoma, okay? Every week. And you know what happened to this man and all of his subordinates who were all Baptist pastors, trained in the best seminaries, some of them with advanced degrees, or most of them with advanced degrees, who know their Bibles off by heart and could speak every single scripture that had to do with rebuking the demonic. Nothing happened. Nothing. And if you hear Mike tell his story, and he's actually written quite a few books which are amazing if you come from that background. He realized that he could understand all of scripture. He could love the word of God. But if he did not have a relationship with the living God through the spirit, He had no power. Scripture is powerful. Don't get me wrong, okay? But the the power of Scripture is in the spirit which flows through it. And what the Lord said to him, because what this did was it drove him to his knees. Half his church left because they couldn't take the weirdness of it. But it drove him to his knees because he knew that he was deficient. He knew he didn't live up to the power that Paul demonstrated. And he could have done all manner of things, but I love the way it just drove him to his knees and he wept and he wept. And you know what? He went from being a really strong Baptist minister, a really strong cessationist. He's one of the most accurate hearers of God's voice that I know on the planet today. He speaks to God like a friend. And it's... it's, it's extravagant love and it's beautiful. He was the guy that told me I was coming to America. Yeah, you can blame him. Okay? <laughs> but he literally said, he gave us his prophetic word. And again, we, we careful with prophetic words because, you know, dates, mates, 
babies. That's, is that the three you're not supposed to do? But we were, we, were, we were kind of desperate, and we said, Mike, pray for us. And he said, well, I don't normally do this, but you know me. You, you can do what you want with this word, but um, you're going to be kicked out of your house um, within six, was it six months? Yeah. And then you're going to leave England within a year. And in both of those dates, he was within a week. We got kicked out of our house. It was quite nice to know that was coming. And we thought, ha, huh, we got kicked out of our house. That's quite depressing. But if that one was right, yeah. ah, the second one might be right as well. Um, and within a few months, I had a phone call from Taylor University. But accurate to within a week, over a year. He wasn't a polis and he became a Paul. He went from being a man who was fervent in spirit to a man who was fervent by the spirit. And I wish I could get him to come to Taylor to preach in chapel. He would rock the place in a very serious Baptist sort of way. He's completely still a Baptist. It's hilarious. Um, apart from hearing the voice of God and prophesying, and he's amazing. So I want us to think about this question again. How do we know that we've been filled? Jesus himself had to send the Spirit. If we stop, if we stop with the baptism of John, if we stop with the teaching of Apollos, we stop at the cross and the resurrection. And those are the tre- most tremendous things that God has done. They are the turning point of history. <laughs> it's the most majestic thing, isn't it? But Pentecost comes. Because Apollos got the people clean. He got them able to receive the Spirit of God. He got the temples ready, but he couldn't get the Spirit into them. Right, and note in Scripture, there's no criticism of Apollos in this regard. He just, Apollos couldn't preach what he didn't know. Right? He couldn't preach what he didn't know. And a lot of us have grown up in churches where we've had amazing men and women preach to us and love us and lead us well, but they haven't known. And it's not a judgment on them. It's just the reality that the Ephesians needed Paul to come, a man who walked in the Spirit, who could speak of the Spirit, who could release the Spirit and pray for the Spirit to come upon them. And if I had more time, we would go on and we'll we'll, we'll look at this later, at what then happens to Ephesus after Paul has been there. Because again, the world gets turned upside down by the Spirit. So Peter calls the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, he calls the Holy Spirit the promise of the Father. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the promise of the Father. And so I want us to to pray tonight, and I wanted to finish earlier, because I didn't want to do like a one minute prayer so I just want to give us a little bit of time. If your lives are anything like mine, rush through the week. You try and grab a bit of time here and there. You might read your Bible. You might, you know. 
But actually together as a family, as a church family, just to ask the Lord to come. And you might, you might be a Paul. You might hear the voice of the Lord. But there's always more of the Lord. And some of us might not have heard his voice. Some of us might not have felt his presence. Some of us might not have felt the glory of his love and his peace. Like, actually experienced it. And so I want to pray over us. And wherever you are, all the Lord asks is that we would say yes to him, that we would ask him. I don't know if my wife is still in the building somewhere. She looks, is she looking after kids? Yeah, if, you can, if she can, Lydia, don't worry if she can't. Um, so let's pray, and if Amanda has anything, she might come up as well. Yeah, let's pray together.